Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Hey everyone, welcome to Kill Me Now with Judy Gold. I'm your host, Judy Gold, and this week we have part one of my interview with Gabe Dunn, and it's a doozier. See, I said doozier instead of doozy, because it's really a doozy. It's great, so I know you're going to enjoy that. I have so much I want to talk to you about, which I'm going to have to save for rant day, but... Okay, I'm getting all your suggestions. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, Working on a new theme song. And I think we have the name figured out. But that being said, I love you. And I don't know if you've been following me on Instagram at Judy Gold, J-E-W-D-Y, G-O-L-D. If you have, you know that on... Wednesday night, I was in Toronto and uh, doing a show, Stand Up for Israel, and uh, we had a lot of protesters. In the front, they they sort of, not, there were a lot of them in the front, a lot of police. Uh, we took the back door entrance, went in the back door entrance, and I showed a video of them just calling us murderers and baby killers because, you know, that's what they do. God forbid they should, um, you know, read the truth or, you know, their protests are really helping, you know, fight a fight. They're helping. They want a ceasefire. And that's really whatever they're doing is definitely helping to get a ceasefire. They're really effective. It's so ridiculous. And you know what was the, the weirdest part of the whole thing? I wasn't scared. I'm never scared of protesters. I feel like we have the truth. We have the facts. I feel strong in my commitment to obliterate Hamas, that Israel uh, deserves to exist, deserves to defend itself, that it is a democracy. They just gave asylum to a Palestinian gay man just this week. And or last week, and yet all of these people protesting, you think Hamas isn't like sitting, well, the leaders aren't sitting in Qatar in their billionaire, billion dollar homes, like laughing, like, oh my God, these people are such idiots. Well, they are. And so um, I was with, you know, I do the shows with Aaron Berg and Rich Voss, who I love dearly. They're like brothers. I've known Voss for so long. I just, I love these guys. And they were so nervous about the protesters. Rich is like, I'm having an anxiety attack. And, uh, and I, I thought about it and I found that I really thought about it. And I realized that these guys have never had to stick up for themselves. They never had to deal with protesters. They've never gone to marches. 
They've never fought for, you know, women's rights or gay rights or being told, you know, you have AIDS and and you're disgusting. And I mean, I've been doing this my whole life. It invigorates me. It it it's like, oh my, it makes me want to speak out even more. So I said that to them. I said, you guys, this is the first time you're like fighting for anything. So you're, and they're like, you're right. So yeah, that's, I thought that was, that was really interesting. And of course they admitted it because they're, they're great guys, but, and funny as well. But I have to say the, the show was sold out at Yuck Yucks, sold out. They were riled up. These comedy shows are an act of solidarity and defiance for the audience that they, you know, instead of sitting at home and getting on, you know, socials and fighting with people and looking at the news and just getting aggravated, being there with allies and other Jewish people and laughing and, and using comedy as a coping mechanism, which is what we do. It's, it's empowering. So we have a show this week in Baltimore at the JCC in Baltimore. So, uh, oh no, it's on Thursday, on Thursday. I'm sorry. The 8th, February 8th, Baltimore. And it's going to be a great, great show. And then we have pretty sure we're going to be in Minneapolis on the 21st. Uh, a lot more shows coming up, you know, Come support. It's really it, it, you know, and everyone feels great because we're laughing. Anyway, so that was that was um, that was Wednesday night. And then, as you know, I have been Elisa uh, and I have been decided that I'm taking as many weekends off as I have to, which is not good for my pocketbook, but whatever or my wallet, whatever you want to call it to see Ben's games. Cause he's a senior and, um, it was a fucking, we drove to Williamstown. Uh, they had a game Friday night at Williams. And I have to say they lost on a buzzer beater, but they lost by one. They were up by seven, uh, with like a minute and a half left, but they lost by one on this three point. Cause they kept fouling us. And then when they got to the foul line, everyone in the stands would just get up and try to distract them. I have never seen a more unsophisticated, arrogant group of people starting from the announcer at a college basketball game. They're classless. Sorry, I love Williamstown. I think it's great. I've performed there. But these fans, it and and I was just looking white. They're white, entitled, white, 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 and rich, rich, rich. And it's and obnoxious. So, and I remember this from last year. So the announcer, when they're announcing, you know, they'll say they they announce who's playing. So they'll be like from Trinity, and then they'll announce all the players. People clap and they come out, whatever. And then they announce the home team. And we do that at Trinity and they announce the people, people clap, then they announce it. This is how they announced the team. They said, uh, literally, this is exactly the way they announced Trinity. 
from New York, New York, uh, six foot eight center forward, Ben Callahan, gold. From Illinois, a small forward, and like that. Like exactly like that. And then they got to the Williams team. Music came on. They're like, and from Boston, Massachusetts, a, bl- a, a seven foot senior from blah, blah, blah. It was so obnoxious. And they're yelling shit. And I remember last year they yelled, per- they looked the players up and yelled personal shit at them. Like, oh, what's you, you, your father does this. It's, they're so, it's disgusting. It is disgusting. So Williams, you should be ashamed of yourselves. It, you know, I talked to Henry about it and he was like, that's basketball culture. You don't think we did that in Indiana? It's it's disgusting. It's just gross. And it's so American. And it's just, it's nauseating. And the and the parents do it. The parents. They, they're just awful. So I hope we have a rematch because we deserve to win that game. We didn't win the game. So obviously then we didn't deserve to win it, but we didn't act as obnoxious, screaming shit, making fun of them. It's disgusting. So fuck you, Williams. Anyway, um, that was that. What else did I want to tell you? Oh, I was so excited. I didn't say last week about how excited I was about the E. Jean Carroll. You know, Robbie Kaplan, her lawyer, what is a guest on You Should Look It Up. Let me look up the episode. Great is a friend, and she was a guest on Kill Me Now, I'll tell you right now, I'm looking it up while I'm talking to you, Roberta Kaplan, Kill Me Now podcast, um, episode 26, episode 26, I would check that out, she's amazing, she's an amazing person, uh, and brilliant, also, what else did I have to tell you? I don't even know. I don't know. I talked about Ben. I talked about the protesters. I talked about, uh, I can't with the fucking driving. It's really, I, I I can't. It's so much. And then I get in a bad move, move when I get home because I've been focusing for like four hours. But we're driving to Maine on Friday and I'm just dreading it. But I want to be there for the boy. So that's that. Anyway, we have such a great guest this week. I hope you enjoy my fascinating interview with the one and only Gabe Dunn. Ladies, gentlemen, they, thems, everyone, we are thrilled here at Kill Me Now. Well, I am since it's my podcast. I Great guest today. Great <laughs> fucking guest that you might not think I would have because you don't think I'm cool, but I am cool. <laughs> and to prove it, we have Okay, I, I don't even author, mm-hmm. comedian, mm-hmm. journalist. Oh my gosh. Uh director, producer. Don't don't look at my screenwriter. Wikipedia. Oh my god. No, no, I did I you think I go to Wikipedia? What are you I fucking really don't crazy, know. Gabe? I don't um, know. Everyone, wait, Gabe Dunn is here. Hello. Gabe Dunn. Gabe, um, that is the Jew Bell, which I think we're gonna be um hitting a lot today. My last podcast guest, I don't even think I hit it once. Yeah. Was it the it, Pope? Hey, no. Very <laughs> funny. No, it's Jai Rodriguez. Is it Jai or Jay? 
Oh, Jay. Oh, from Jay. Queer Eye? Yes. Wow. No bell. No bell. Seriously. Yeah. But, you know, people love the bell. Anyway, Gabe, thank you for being here. God, what a story you have. What a oh. story you have. And you're fucking, what, 35 years old? Yeah. Is that young? Fuck you. <laughs> yeah, I'm 61, Gabe. 61. You look great. Thanks. Um, I'm, I'm there- so sorry to this. People do this to me all the time and it, it, it is a little bit jarring, but I did used to like watch you on TV when I was like in middle school. <laughs> oh, I love you, Gabe. That makes me feel so great. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, did you enjoy? I was, yeah. I was obsessed with like all the, the comedy central stuff and all the yeah. like stand up on TV. Like, because I had a misunderstanding of stand up where I thought that you became so famous as an actor that they let you do stand up. Oh, that's a definite misunderstanding. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought, wow, these people are so famous. They let them have a stand-up special. <laughs> and so I was that's like, That's so funny. You know, it's so, I love that you said that because I remember when I did my first HBO, well, my only HBO, spe- well, I was on other HBO specials, but mm-hmm. when I did my first solo HBO special, right, uh, in 1995, I remember thinking to myself, Oh my God, this network is giving me 30 minutes of their, like, it's fucking amazing. Mm -hmm. And I always took those specials seriously, unlike some of my peers who were like, yeah. And I, uh, you know, I'm like you, like due diligence times a thousand. And so, yeah, it's, I love that you said that because okay, in a way it's true. Like that this network trusts you for 30 minutes that no one's mm-hmm. going to change the channel. You know, mm-hmm. that's how we used to say it, Gabe, change the I know. channel. Well, I just mean yeah. also because there's other comedians that I've said that to and they've been like, oh my God, I feel so old. But I've also had you know, people come up to me and be like, I used to watch you on the bus in middle school. And I'm like, that's crazy. Right. You're not old. I'm 60 fucking one. Okay. Listen, Gabe, what a fucking life. All right. First of all, you are from Davie, Florida. God bless you. Hollywood, Florida. And I went to school in Davie. Um, Oh, you're from Hollywood, Florida. Well, same. Same. It's very similar. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and I, uh, yeah, my parents are still there in like Hollywood, you know, it's very Jewish area. Um, you have an older brother, younger sister. Is that correct? Well, yeah, I have two older brothers, but one of them we found out about in 2017. So I call him new brother. He showed up from a DNA test. No fucking way. Mm -hmm. What happened? So we know it's, it's your father, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because, and wait, can we just explain this to people? Because I heard, I was at Penn Station the other day, and there's people at um, the bagel place, whatever the fuck it's called, Zaro's, and they're sitting there, and I hear the woman say, well, in the Jewish religion, uh, for some reason, you are what your mother is. uh And I wanted to go, yeah, because you can always prove, like pre-DNA, you could always prove who the mother, you could never deny mm-hmm. that this is the mother because you were coming out of the mm-hmm. body of a, of a woman, of a, yeah. of a, you know. And so that's why we went matrimonial. So do tell 
about your new sibling? Well, yeah, I have an old, my dad, uh, it's my oldest brother's from his first wife. And then me and my sister are from his second wife. And then Jason is in the middle and Mm -hmm. uh, between that situation. But uh, he, I did it. We did 23andMe in like 2012. Right. uh, Because I had had a boyfriend at the time who insisted he was Native American. So I was like, well, let's put that to the test. Right. Um, He was, as it turns out, not Native American. Can you believe? Uh, Are you, were you so thrilled? That you were right? I, I no, because I, I was like, this is going to be a whole thing. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I got, yeah. But so then me and my, so then I did it and then my dad did it as well. And then you just, my dad didn't really know his dad. So we were like kind of gathering information from that. And then cut to five years later in 2017, we like forgot about it. We just left our DNA. Yeah. And then this guy messages my dad on Facebook and he's like, hey, no pressure sorry about this. Uh, I think I'm your son. And, um, my dad was like, okay, this is a scam. Uh, but then he like talked to him and he was like, oh fuck, this is my kid. Um, wow. just did, it was like a one night stand. That's amazing. So do you yeah. have a relationship with him? Yeah. Yeah. He came to Thanksgiving. Uh, wow. Yeah, we went- Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he, so he, me and my sister, we're in LA, Jason's in San Diego. So we drove down within like a week to go meet him. And, uh, and he looks just like my sister. He looks like my dad. No way. Yeah. To a T. Yeah. And, uh, like it was almost like laughable. And, uh, then we met him and his wife and it was like really weird. Well, we, he and I FaceTimed that same day and it was like, is he Jewish? No, his um, mother was not, and he was raised. Okay. He was adopted out. She gave him up for adoption, so he was raised in like a non-Jewish family, which he didn't what? even really like them, <laughs> even as right. like a kid. He didn't really. He was like having trouble with them at the time because they some of them had voted for Trump. So he was like <gasps> 2017, right? So oh, he was like wow. on the outs with them at the time, and then right. he found out he wasn't even related to them, which is so, which. Can you imagine? Oh my god! Or like, he must you know have been I mean? so happy. Yeah. He was like, oh, I'm not. okay." so I'm like not even because he was like, I always feel like an outsider. And then he like, was. Wow. So if you don't feel like you fit in with your family, take a DNA test. Maybe you're not even part of them. (laughs) That's the best. Okay, so you grew up in the Hollywood, Florida area. Um, Your father was a uh, drug addict, alcoholic. Your mother. Uh Not that that was his job, but I mean. um, you know, it is a full time gig. He's a sober coach, huh? It's a full time gig to be a drug addict and alcoholic. Yeah. But now he's turned his whole life around. He's a recovery addiction specialist, sober coach. And your mother, a divorce attorney mm-hmm. and child custody attorney, mm-hmm. which did she bring her work? Wait, sorry. Forgot to, you know. <laughs> um, did she bring her work? Did she talk about her work when you were growing up? Yes. Too much, I think. Really? Um, yeah. Well, I just remember, I mean, this is a funny side of it, but I just remember she, like, we would be in the, going into school or something and it'd be like a teacher and she'd be like, oh, I did her divorce. <gasps> or no like, way. It'd be like, 
yeah, she's not subtle. Or like there would be right. someone like we would be like at the florist or something and she'd be like, the person would be so friendly with her and we would leave and she'd be like, I did his divorce. And I'll be like, mom, you have to stop telling me that. Yeah. Isn't that, a, isn't that against the rules? I think so. Yeah. Um, but we get, we would get uh, a lot of stuff. So she, she's like kind of a bleeding heart. Like she wouldn't take a lot of payment. Like I talked about this in my book where she would like, we would get like manicures and stuff for free all the time. And I'd be like, why is we, why are we getting this for free? And she'd be like, oh, well I did her divorce and she couldn't pay me. So now we just go in and it's free every uh, time. So like right, she would talk. Yeah. 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 So she was like, not very good at making money from stuff. But like, I think a lot of stuff for my bat mitzvah was free. Like getting the dress. <laughs> I know getting the dresses like re, you know, redone and, uh, the, the centerpieces and like a bunch of stuff right. was free because she just like had done these people's custody or divorces. But aside from that's that, for, but that's so sweet that if they yeah. could, my father was the same, my father was a tax attorney and he was the same way. And my mother was like, Harold, but, but you know, like he wouldn't, yeah. I, I'm, yeah, he, for the people who couldn't afford it, he wouldn't take money. Um, yeah. But we didn't get any fucking free shit. So you're lucky. So she like took it home with her in the sense too that, well, I worked as a secretary for her when I was like 15. So I saw a lot of stuff like women would call and they were like crying and I would have right. to like be like put my like to a hold and then be like, um, mom, so this person's calling. She's hysterical and right. like would have to like put her through. But one thing I learned was like growing up, I thought like, you know, you always think like divorce is so sad and bad and you see it on TV and it's awful. And then I would like see my mom's clients and she would be like taking them out for drinks after it was finalized and stuff. Right. And they would come into the office like gleeful. And I was right. like, how come people are so happy about divorces? And she was like, because they're free. Like a divorce isn't right. always bad. Sometimes it's great. Did she ever talk about the child custody stuff? Yes. I can't even imagine. Awful. Awful. Well, one thing I learned early on from that is that the courts are not um, are not like safe. They're not infallible. They're not like she would constantly think she's very like justice oriented and she would constantly think, well, this is the better situation for the child. And then the judge would make some other ruling Ugh. and then she would come home and like cry because she knew the kid was going back to like a bad situation. Right. Or she had represented, you know, the the court's. And I understand this in some ways, but the courts prioritize, and I knew this very young, the courts prioritize the parents. So like the parent would be abusive, but they would get out of jail and they would say, I'm reformed. And there would be like an aunt who had been raising the kid for like five years, the only home the kid knew. And right. then they would go to court. My mom would often be representing like the aunt or the grandmother and the the kid would get like sent back to the father who they never met, never knew. And, and the father clearly had issues. And my right. mom would just like know that this that she was out of her control, and she would be like, "I tried my hardest, but there's nothing I can do." Ugh, and she would well, be like, "Really, awful. yeah." So I That's learned pretty so, young that yeah. like things aren't fair, right? Wow. Yeah, yeah. I love your mom. I mean, I saw that clip of you talking about <laughs> talking to your mom about how she hates marriage, and she said, "I don't hate marriage. I just think." Basically, you have to understand it before you tie the knot. You have to understand that 
you have to really love this person unconditionally, even when you hate this person. You know, she seems so wise and Jewy, and I love her. Hey, everyone, you know, one of my favorite things in life, if not my most favorite thing in life, which, yeah, it's arguably my most favorite thing in life besides my kids and is food and eating. Eating is my favorite activity and eating is better and easier with Factor. Factor, I'm telling you, I tried their stuff. It is delicious. It is great It is high quality and they are, when I say ready to eat meals, they're ready to eat in two minutes. They're not frozen. They're never frozen. They're chef crafted, dietitian approved, and literally you heat them for two minutes. Every week you have over 35 options to choose from. They have calorie smart, protein plus, keto. I just did chef's choice. 60 or more add-ons that you can stay fueled up. They had these juice shots that were incredible. These are restaurant quality meals that are ready to heat and eat when you are ready to eat. That's it. And they're really good. Elisa loved them too. There's no prep. There's no mess. I've tried a lot of these different kinds of meals. Factor is amazing and so convenient. It's so great to get home from a long day of like schlepping around and knowing you have this delicious meal waiting for you in the refrigerator that takes two minutes to heat up. And you can pause, you can reschedule your deliveries at any time. It is a great solution for those nights and days that you're looking for fast, great, delicious options with no cooking required. Okay? And factor is less expensive than takeout. So what are you going to do? Because I'm telling you, you have to believe me. I never lie. Factor is amazing. You're going to head to factormeals, F-A-C-T-O-R-M-E-A-L-S dot com slash Judy Gold 50, J-U-D-Y-G-O-L-D 50, five zero. Okay. Judy Gold 50. And use code J-U-D-Y-G-O-L-D five zero, Judy Gold 50 to get 50% off. That's code JudyGold50 at factormeals.com slash JudyGold50 and get 50% off. It's worth it. You're welcome. You grew up in Florida. I can't, I, I was like looking, Gabe done childhood, 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 childhood. And it's like all I, all I could um, I do a lot of research, but I, oh my gosh, I couldn't find a lot, but I do know that you started writing as a young kid. You wrote a not, wait, where is it? You wrote a novel. <laughs> I look at all the shit you have graphic well, novel. Uh, um, yeah, uh, I, I mean, well, let me just tell, tell the, the audience right now that Gabe has fucking in 35 fucking years, uh, best New York Times bestseller, Bad With Money, podcast, Bad With Money, Just Between Us with Allison Raskin, uh, pod, well, it's a, it's a YouTube series, which is great. Oh, I was going to say, I've been working with her. She's also Jewish. I've been working with her for 10 years. I, I hit the fucking bell when I said <laughs> it. Allison Raskin. And she just got married. Um, mm-hmm. Wait, I want to finish. Graphic novel, Bury the Lead, 
let's see, first feature film, you and I, you and me coming out where you're directing, you wrote it, not We're coming out. We're shooting it in March. Yeah, you're shooting it in March. You did. You made a face. And I was like, wait, what? Did well, something because, happen? Because I'm like in the fundraising stage right now and I'm oh, like yeah, the so worst. panicked. The fucking but, worst. Yeah. Um, young adult novel, I Hate Everyone But You. Uh, bestseller, New York Times bestseller. Then a follow-up, Please Send Help. Apocalypse Untreated, Audible podcast about mental health. I can't fucking take it. Okay? <laughs> I can't fucking take it. But I love this this thing. So you wrote like a 50-page book? How old were you? Like, Oh, I mean, I I was always a writer. Like, always. I think I was like I in like first grade I had like a notebook and I wrote like a little novel and then I thought well I've achieved it this is the great American novel right but it was like I I remember it was I remember it because I made it all up in the sense that like the girl like wins a trip she's like my age and she wins a uh, she's a soccer player I did not play soccer I knew absolutely nothing about soccer and she wins a trip to go play soccer in Washington, D.C., a city I'd never been to. I right. don't know. I, I, I like can't think about it's just funny to be like a a young person and not be writing about anything in your life. Like just imagining like right. this is what Washington like there's no Internet. So I'm like, this is what soccer must be like. This is what Washington, D.C. must be like. And I and I was just like I didn't use any examples from my life at all. Which is kind of silly. Which I wish is I still so, had it. I know, but that's so that you had that imagination at that age and were able to document it. Like the, it, that's fucking genius. Well, Gabe. I often I often think that like me and Allison talk a lot about we're like, were you like a genius in the fourth grade? And we're like, yeah, I feel like in the fourth grade I was like so smart. And it's just like progressively gotten worse. Like, sorry, I'm a little bit sick, so if I cough, but um, like, I think a lot of people feel like, wow, I was such a gifted kid. And then you're sort of like, you, it's like a curse a little bit. Cause you're like, well, I feel like I really peaked in the fifth grade. Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. I, I get it. I, 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 I was like one of those advanced, advanced kids. Mm-hmm. And then it, then it sort of leveled you off. Burn out. Yeah, it's like, and then I have, and you know, I had undiagnosed ADHD. So, you know, if I could go back, knowing what I know now, being, Mm -hmm. having, you know, God only knows what I, how many fucking books I would have read that, you know, I didn't read halfway through and then had to, you know, go jump around and run outside, you know, when I was a little kid, but, but I could focus on music. So I always read music. Mm -hmm. So that I think helped my brain going, but not about me. Who cares? Um, um, well, I so, read a lot. I read a lot yeah. of books. I think a lot of kids who have uh, chaotic homes, like alcoholic and drug addict parents who are sort of like my dad was super unpredictable. So I was like constantly reading. Like all I did was read. And like my uh, my even like at my bat mitzvah, which you can ring the bell. Oh, my, yeah, like, baby. Entrance joke. Like, you know, they do like an entrance for the kid. Yeah. My like entrance joke was like that my family couldn't find me and where was I and where was I? And then they like turned around the DJ booth and I was reading behind it. Oh, uh, always reading. Like in the y- Wizard you know of I mean? Oz. Yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, she's always reading. I was a girl at the time. Right. Oh, right. she's always reading, you know. 
I love that. So did yeah. so did Anne Frank. Um, <laughs> I looked so, a lot like her when I was a kid too. Oh God, I was obsessed with Anne Frank as a kid, and now I'm re re obsessed because oh of my God, the anti semitism. Kids are so. I like kind of looked like her, and I remember we got to that that section about her in like seventh grade, and the kids like realized I looked like her, and it was off to the races. You know what's crazy is that you know Florida is only one of six states that taught the Holocaust. What? Um, yeah, that was required. That it's required to teach the Holocaust. So I think oh it's God. it's Florida, Illinois. New York, New Jersey, um, and California. What? And there's, yeah, in public oh, schools no. that it is required. Oh, no. So now we, th- which is why we have these fucking assholes denying the Holocaust. I, I, like, I can't with the fucking stupidity, I really but can't. whatever. Oh, um, my God. Okay. So growing up, you were a girl growing up mm-hmm. and- were you popular? Were you nerdy? Were you, I, uh, you know, did you like school? No. I mean, I liked academic achievement, but I didn't like going to school. But, right. Same. And I was like good at certain things. Um, but I, I, uh, well, it's, I mean, you have an idea of yourself and then you don't really know. Like I, I did, I was not particularly popular, but it's funny because I met, a girl later in life who we became friends. And then we slowly realized that she had gone to my school and my school was very small. So she was in seventh grade when I was a senior and she remembered me and she said, you weren't, cause I was curious and she, cause I didn't remember her at all. And she was like, you weren't popular, but you were like kind of stood out and were like sort of like the protagonist in the coming of age movie. Right, right, like, right. That's so funny. Cause like I, I love didn't that. I think I thought I think I was pretentious and I like thought that I was better than everyone, but I don't know if that's like a reaction to I remember or, all the girls. Yeah, yeah. All the girls got tickets to a Maroon Five John Mayer concert and and they were making shirts for the concert. And my school was very small. So it was like all the girls, and I was not invited. And I oh, remember asking the club. Yeah. one of the girls, I remember saying, well, why aren't I invited? And she said, well, you think you're better than everyone. And I said, I am. <laughs> and then they were like, well, that's why you're not invited. Oh, and I, I love like, that, Gabe. Um, yeah. But you don't you sound like you regret it, but good for you. I do. Um, well, it's interesting because I I did not I I'm on the spectrum and I realized I got diagnosed with that like lately but or in the last couple of years but I didn't know that at the time. And I just remember there was this girl that used to bully me in middle school and um I wrote her a letter that was like, "Hey, I don't I, it seems that you really bully me a lot and I just want to know sort of why and why me." And like, is there some sort of interpersonal problem that we can kind of work out or like, do you want to talk or like, what's going on? How old were you when you did this? Probably like 13, 12. Wow. That's fucking great. Yeah. No, she, she was, she, she cornered me and she was like, why are you so fucking weird? And then she like read it. you, cunty. She like read it to the, her table. Cause she, they were like, why are you weird? This is not the like bully victim relationship. Like, why are you being so weird? Cause I was just like, perhaps there's something going on at home or maybe you want to sort of 
talk or like why, you know, we, if we oh, if you have a so problem, your mother. Yeah. I was like, if you have a problem with me, like, can we work this out? And she was just like, you're being, you're making this so weird. And I okay. was like, question. All yeah. right. I have two questions. Is she Jewish? Everybody was. It was a Jewish school. And number two, what does she do now? Great question. Thank so you. she is like, I looked her up and she is like an advocate for autistic children. She teaches tennis. Oh my tennis. God. That's I know. crazy. I know. That is crazy. I know. Oh my God. You should have her on your mental health podcast. I should be like, I was so gagged when I saw that. She like teaches tennis. She runs like a tennis camp for autistic kids. Cause she was <gasps> like a big tennis person when we were younger. Right. I, and I was like, Gagged. And I remember I tweeted being like, what do you do when your bully is like a good person now? Right. I love that. Oh my God. Gagged. That's the greatest. Am I wrong that you got a job in your in high school with the local newspaper or you were no, working? I did. Yeah. How did you get a job at such a young age at a local newspaper? There was a program at the Sun Sentinel called Next Generation, and you apply. And um, if you get in, they let you write for the newspaper, like in the kids section. And so I applied and I got in and I would, ha- and then I uh, like twice a month, I went to meetings at the paper, like for the kids and you could like pitch stuff. And I met a girl there who's like one of my good friends now still. We met when I was like 14. Jewish? Um, yeah, Jewish. Um, okay, go ahead. Yeah. And we're still friends to this day. Uh, and, uh, so you could pitch. So then I, I was like finagling always to try to get like a full-time job there. And there was a, a, a smaller section of the paper in Tamarack, Florida that, Oh yeah, um, I know Tamarack. Yeah. Yeah. And they were like, well, the Tamarack office needs like actual correspondence. And I was like, well, I could do that. I don't have a car. I'm like, I could do that. And they're like, okay. And so I would go in and they paid you by the source. So it would be like a 300 word story. I would interview like eight people. Like, wow. So I, uh, so I started, pants. I know. So I started working for them, pitching all kinds of stuff. Um, but my dad had to drive me around, which is hilarious now because he probably was drunk, but he had to drive me around and, um, and my mom was very into it. And like, I remember I got in a, 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 like, I had like a story I was working on, but I got asked to prom by this guy I was dating. And I was like, well, I'm going to go to the prom. And I remember my mom being like, why would you go to the prom? You have this interview that you have to do. Like, she was very much like, right. who cares about this guy? Right. And I was like, I-, I tended to agree with her, but I was like, well, I don't know. I should go, I guess. But there, yeah, there was like, I worked for the paper. And like I went, I was in school, so I would have to like do interviews sometimes at like six a.m. to eight a.m. and then go to school, right? Um, and then and then do interviews after. But I had like a thing where we we had just gotten cell phones, and I would get. I remember I got a call. This is why nobody liked me. I got a call during like history class, and it was a source, and I was like literally in front of my teacher. Went I have to take this. It's for work. <laughs> and he was like no i love that he was like took my phone away and i was like it's for my job and he was like no you're oh gonna get God, your phone back at the hilarious. end of the day 
Oh, that's yeah. fucking hilarious. Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. You then went to the college that I wanted to go to, and my parents wouldn't let me, although it was, I got in, but my parents wouldn't let me because we lived in New Jersey, mm-hmm. and Rutgers was $2,500 a semester. So wow. okay. my brother went there, my sister went there, my father went there, he got his law degree there, he got a CPA there. Like, we Rutgers are, is a good school. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Gabe. Um, but yes, but I really wanted to go to Emerson and now like so many of my friends went to Emerson who are comics, but you went for journalism and media, uh, and in your sophomore year, you became a crime reporter for the Boston Globe. Is that correct? Um, yeah, kind of. Well, so the school had, uh, I feel like Rachel Maddow, you know, like Rachel Maddow, when she does the beginning of her show and she tells this whole story. And then she has the guest on and she goes, did I get that right? Did I get all of that right? And <laughs> Okay, go ahead. Um, I mean, this is a lot of research. I'm kind of shocked, but um, so yeah. So um, my school, Emerson had a, a, a relationship with the globe where there was a co-op program where you could go to school and also work at the paper. And there were four slots, but it was like Harvard, Northeastern, Tulane, like all the schools competed for these four slots. Um, and usually Emerson got like most of them. There was the Harvard, uh, Harvard ever, hardly ever got it. Like I, they, I don't know what they were looking for, but it was largely Emerson and Northeastern that they would hire. And so it was like, so there were four slots. There was like 6am to 12 to 6am to uh, maybe 11, 11 to 12 uh, to like two, two to whatever. And then I would come in from like six to two in the morning. So it would be whatever those slots were. There was like some overlap, but there were four and it was competitive. And I knew that nobody asks for the night shift. They just give it to someone. Right. So I was like, when I go in for my interview, I was like, I'm going to ask for the night shift because nobody wants that. So then when they look through the, the lists, they'll say, oh, there's only one application that wanted the night shift and I'll pick, they'll pick that person. So I smart Maria, very smart. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, uh, so I went in and I did the interview and I was like, Oh, I really want the night shift. Like that's the one that I want. Yeah. And I think they hadn't had a woman do the night shift in like nine years. So they had me call the last girl who had done it and get like the, the real idea of what it was like. And, um, she was like, yeah, I mean, it's like different, but I, I think you could do it. And I was like, okay, because they give you a car with like a police scanner in it. You have to check out a car. So you go down to the, you go down to the bottom of the, you check in, then you go down to the bottom of the globe and there's like different keys and different cars with scanners. And you go in, you check out a car uh, and then they, you drive around with the police scanner. Oh my Um, God. That's so cool. 
yeah, I mean, it's a lot of times it's very boring, right. uh, but you're going around and, um, and there's somebody, there's a night shift actual crime reporter that you're working with. And so they're actually writing the story. So they'll call you and be like, we need you to go here and like get some details. So a lot of times it depended on if that reporter wanted to throw you a bone. So like right. they would put like additional reporting <clears throat> by, or if they were really nice, they would give you a double byline. But it was wow. sometimes they didn't even do that. Right. So it was kind of up to their discretion. And I was so fucking thirsty. Like I would beg. I'd be like, please just give me the additional reporting. And then like right. if because I was so annoying, I think sometimes they threw me like a double byline because I would just be like, please. Right. Um, and <laughs> you're right. And, yeah. So I mean, they don't have to. I'm like an intern. But oftentimes I would try to find things on my own. But I in my head, I would say. Well, if it's already on the scanner, the police are already there. So it's right. not that dangerous. How dangerous could it be? The scan they're already wherever I'm going, it's not like I'm going to where the, the police aren't. But the police officers were also like you had to kind of talk to them and finagle them and I was like a 19-year-old girl. So a lot of my strategy was to sort of play dumb. Right. So I would sort of be like, "Oh my god, what's going on here?" like I and then they would say <laughs> things to me that they thought I wouldn't understand. That's So I can't, brilliant. So you played like the dumb. Oh, I'm just a little girl. I'm just oh, a little God, girl reporter. So, right. Smart. I Do don't you, know if you if you tell me the code for the thing, I won't even know what it means. Right. Like that. Any really great cases that you remember? There were so many things. Like on Fourth of July, I went to I I was drinking with my friends and I got called in and I went to the Globe drunk. And then mm -hmm. they were like, you have to go out and report on this shooting. And so I went to the shooting on the train. Um, but I went to the shooting and then it was like really awful situation. I interviewed all the because you would have to knock on the door and like interview people about like a horrible thing that had happened. Or you would have to. Did call. you have a camera? You didn't you a recorder? What did you what did you have with you? A recorder, but also just a notepad. Notebook. Like there wasn't yeah, anything. Yeah. Yeah. Like it was 2007. Okay. So it was like a notepad, the amount to which, okay. Kids today, <laughs> I would have a notepad and I would write everything down and then I would call it, go to like a phone or, or a cell phone and call it in and it's read the story to someone who was typing it. Wow. So I would have like to a write stenographer. It yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I would have to call in and and read the story That's as so I had cool. written it in my notebook right. to the person who would type it up and then put it in the paper. So that there your storytelling your is if you're taking notes and then telling a story on the phone. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's comedy right there. I mean, that's the yeah, You're I mean, it was, it was, yeah. you would get yelled at, like, if you wanted, you would call the family and they would be like, fuck you, which now it's interesting. Like I see it's hard, right? Cause there'll be like a school shooting and yeah. then you'll see the kids like tweeting, like, oh my God, we're on right. lockdown, whatever. Right. And then like, they'll be like, hi, I'm Sherry, blah, blah, blah from ABC 10. Like, can you respond to me? Or like, can you tell me what's going on? And everyone will be like, fuck you, Sherry, which like. I get, but like Sherry's boss is making Sherry do that. Right. And also it's not like Sherry, it, you know, is 
has no feelings. It's like Sherry's trying right. to report the news and get the word out. But you, but yeah, it's like I get you're it. You're vultures. But sometimes I will say sometimes someone will have just died and you call and they, the person wants to talk about their relative who right. just died. It's right. You don't know what you're going to get. Yeah. Kind of like an audience. Yeah. Um, you know, you graduate from Emerson. Am I correct? Hi, this is Rachel Maddow. Is it correct <laughs> that you were an intern at The Daily Show? Yeah, I I was uh, end of college. Yeah, I, I was an intern at The Daily Show when Viacom, by the way, didn't have to pay. They got sued oh, later. Yeah. yeah, but they didn't Did you have get to any pay. money. No, you didn't no. get any money. Zero. Yeah. No. And I also was again mistaken and I loved the daily show, but I thought that the people who worked there were journalists. I did not realize they were comedians. Yep. So when I got there, the idea that they were all comedians and were doing stand up on the side or were, were performing at UCB or the pit or whatever, that was a surprise to me. So I didn't, I didn't realize that that was the situation. So I, well, because I got the internship and then Emerson was like, well, it's not an internship in your field. So you have to get permission from the film department. Right. And I was like, that's stupid. They're journalists. It's I like had to like go to the film department and like make my case and go to the journalism department and make my case that the daily show was journalism. Cause they were like, no, it's not. This is like a film and TV internship. And I was like, no, it's not, but it was. <laughs> but that being said, most people get their news. I know. And at, at, at that time, especially from The Daily Show. I so, know. So, you know, you can argue it both ways. Um, then you moved to, you moved to New York. Mm-hmm. Did you work for BuzzFeed? Yeah, later when I got to LA. Okay. I didn't know if you did that in New York or- um, no, in New York, I was freelance reporting and then I would take little jobs at magazines and stuff. And like, I took a job at like, like a fitness magazine as like the IT de- person, but I like wasn't qualified. Right. Like, I I was like, New York was very stressful. Yeah, it I is a stressful con- place. It was way too stressful. I sometimes wonder if it was New York was stressful or if it's just because I was like 21 to 24 and that's just a stressful time. Yeah. I mean, I grew up right by the city, but also Mm -hmm. my family's from here. And, you know, I lived here at 21. It's really, it's the person, you know, it's, it's hard. Mm -hmm. I mean, you came from Florida and then you went to Boston, which is a small city, you know, Mm -hmm. it's, oh, it can be overwhelming. Okay. You moved to LA. The, the stuff you've done, the way you've taken your life, you know, the, the, so let's talk bad with money. Yeah. I've heard you speak. I heard you speak about how you didn't grow up with a lot of money. You didn't have, but yet you, it was sort of a taboo topic ish. Like, I love that you want to conquer that head on. And I just, the the greatest part of you, you went into a, a, I don't know where it was, but you asked people, what's your favorite sexual position? Mm -hmm. And they were Right, right away. They all answered the question. And then you asked them about their income or something regarding money. And they were, would not answer. I thought, what brilliant, it's so brilliant. 
Um, that was with my producer, Sam Dingman. We both came up with that. And he he was uh, instrumental in the first couple seasons. Yeah. Dingman? Yeah. yeah. Uh, he was instrumental in the first couple seasons and then he, he had to leave. But um, it was like very uh, – because Panoply, which was the company at the time – they wanted to do a podcast with me. They reached out and they were thinking it would be some kind of LGBTQ thing or right. dating thing or something. And I was like, I want to talk about money. And they were like, okay, you've literally never done that in your career, but sure. And it was just, yeah, I just, I, I noticed that people didn't really talk about it. And I was working at BuzzFeed at the time and we all had salaries. And I think something that had just happened where I didn't realize you needed to take out for taxes. So I thought I made more money than my boyfriend who also worked there. But we realized he was taking out for taxes and I wasn't. And just nobody had ever told me to do that. Right. That's smart. That happens a lot. I mean, to a lot of people. And then you get influencers. So many young influencers, they don't realize that they need to like take out for taxes when they get like some fucking 10k brand deal and then they're shocked at the end of the year when they have to pay like so much in taxes it's like i know there's no education right yeah they should kind of teach that with the holocaust thank you so much for listening to part one of my interview with the one and only gabe dunn how great was that tell me now is produced by laura vogel edited by colin schmeling marketed and everything else by and scheduled and everything by Brittany joe sowards richmond if you like my podcast please subscribe and leave a review if you don't like it go fuck yourself also follow me on twitter instagram at judy gold j-w-g-y-g-o-l-d because i'm a jew um come see me in baltimore That's right, baby. Baltimore at the Jewish Community Center on Thursday, February, February 8th. Okay. And then I will be in uh, Bloomington, Minnesota on February 21st. And I have a lot of other dates coming up for Stand Up for Israel. Uh, what else? Uh, I don't know what else to tell you. I'm just so happy you listened. Uh, get ready for um, our uh, new theme song and new name and new everything. I love you all. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening, especially to the end. And as we always say, so long. Ga, 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 ga. Okay, here's the situation. Our daughter Mia is leaving for her first sleepover. We have friends coming to stay, and we just got a puppy. So I go on Instacart and solve everything in one order from Kohl's. Fun PJs for Mia. Oh, new bedding for the guest room. And a vacuum cleaner that actually picks up pet hair. All delivered in as fast as 30 minutes. With Kohl's on Instacart, there's no such we can't fix. Visit instacart.com to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. $10 minimum order. Additional terms apply.